A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and a very warm welcome to Wellness with Liz Earle. And in today's episode, we are going to be taking a closer look at the fascinating world of psychological well-being and the simple but highly effective strategies we can all put into place to better protect our mental health, especially as the days get darker and shorter in these oh, so cold winter months. Well, to dive into this topic, I am delighted to be joined in my studios by a chartered psychologist and founder of MindFlex. Dr. Vanessa Moulton, who has so much to share when it comes to matters of the mind, working with teenagers and adults across the whole psychological well-being continuum, including those experiencing mental ill health, such as loss, depression, anxiety, addiction and trauma, as well as those who are looking to build and maintain psychological fitness, which she will come on to explain. Now, interestingly, Vanessa also specialises in military mental health, having worked as the head of Psychological Services at Help for Heroes, brilliant organisation, as I'm sure you know, and as part of the mental health team at the Primary Rehabilitation Centre during the peak of the Afghanistan conflict. In recent years, she's turned her eye to the workplace too, advising organisations and their teams on how they can pay attention to the psychological health and how to improve the psychological fitness of the workforce. There is just so much to dive into. Vanessa, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Really great. And I know that we first met when you came and did a psychological fitness day with my team. I did. And me here, which impressed us hugely. So oh, well, thank you. Thank it was, you it for coming back. wonderful to be here. So well, yeah, thank, thank you. you. But going back a bit, how did you first become involved in psychology? Um, it's, it's been a bit, uh, I suppose, a longish journey. I did psychology as my degree many, many moons ago um, at university uh, and decided not to kind of pursue it um, at the time and, and fell into a different industry. I fell into marketing mm. and spent a good 10 10 years or so in, in marketing, fun, high, fast-paced agency yeah, so the corporate world. world you've very much, in, yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. Um, and and I, I did love it. Uh, and I have to say that element of my life and my career works very nicely when I'm working with corporates and, uh, and within, sure, within insight, that. Haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. So I haven't, haven't been a psychologist all my life. And then at age, well, age around 30, I shouldn't give my age away, and, <laughs> uh, you know, a few years ago, I decided that... I would try and retrain in something that I felt really passionate about. Mm. And and psychology always just really stayed with me. And I, I thought it would be an, a, a quick, easy journey to kind of do a little course or an evening course and I could do it. And then I started to look into it and um, 
to become a psychologist, I had to go back and, and do a doctorate. So so that's what I did, basically. Gosh, what did you do that in? Did you have to pick <clears throat> a specific area of psychology? No, it was, uh, it, it was, um, it's just a general, it's, it's counselling, I'm a counselling psychologist. Right. Um, so it was a counselling psychologist doctorate, which means, um, and, and actually, I think I was in year two when I, when I actually realised the difference between like a PhD and a doctorate. So a doctorate is, I suppose, more of a qualification. Mm-hmm. PhD is a, a, a huge, huge piece of research that someone mm. takes out so my qualification I had to go to uni for for, for three years um and wow. but then I had to do a big piece of research as part of mm-hmm. to, to qualify um uh, uh, qualify yeah um and someone says to me and I suppose that's where I fell into the the military side of things because mm, someone said that. to me um whatever you do for your big big piece of research or thesis make sure it's something that you feel passionate about because there will be blood sweat and tears over it which there was um and and my my brother was serving in the force at the time alongside also my sister-in-law and it just felt like a natural subject Mm. I suppose to to look into and so I contacted a a very well-known veteran charity called Combat Stress at the time and to see whether that they would be interested in me using some of the people that were coming through the centre um to to do to do my mm. research so i i looked at um i spoke to veterans who had suffered with ptsd mm. who had been in the iraq and afghan conflict and looked at their experience of stress in in that context yes. and kind of the the military setting for that kind of went on from there really mm. I, I i then went on and, and worked as i say at headley court and then went on to help for heroes so i kind of i didn't actively kind of choose I wasn't going in and retraining to do um work within the military sphere it just kind of evolved yeah uh, from, from my research that's that the strongest way though isn't it when something like that <clears throat> happens naturally and, and you have yeah. a real passion for yeah. it and you discover people that you can help absolutely it is PTSD post-traumatic post-traumatic stress stress disorder, disorder yeah is that relatively new for something like the army to be taking on in such a way it's it's not a new concept. Mm. Um, it, the the uh, people it, talk about shell shock, for example, from like exactly, the First World War. Exactly. So it's kind of had different names yeah. along the way. In terms of it being identified, I think it was. I, I probably shouldn't quote it because I think it was in the mid seventies mm-hmm. that post-traumatic stress disorder became recognised as a diagnosable dis- disorder. Right. Um, and so uh, what that means is we have categories of symptoms that we would look for. And, and if someone is is scoring pretty high on certain of those symptoms, then we, we would suggest a, a, a potential PTSD yeah. diagnosis. So it's it's not a new thing. It's It's shell shock to a certain degree would would have been would a have different been name okay um for ptsd but back then you know people didn't know exactly what that meant yeah. i remember reading a um one of my many books that i have on trauma um and it quoting about back in the um second world war when a lot of the pilots were grounded because of their psychological health um and on their medical files they had a stamp um which stood for lack of moral fiber LMF. LMF. Wow. Um, what an awful thing. And and so when we look at that compared to where we are now, yeah. we've obviously made a, a huge yeah. step. Surely everybody, I mean, in, in that intense, stressful battlefield situation, mm. you're going to be suffering some form of stress. I mean, how can you not? Yeah. And, yeah. and I guess is your job to, to find the people who can handle that perhaps 
less well than others? Are some people more adapted to that? Maybe? Yeah, I mean, what we know is that certain there are certain aspects of someone's life, their upbringing, mm-hmm. the way that they view the world that makes them more predisposed to suffering with with post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. So our, our brain has a very specific way of, of processing our experiences. Um, and that is the way that we process is, is also affected by our beliefs about the world, what's happened to us in the past. Yeah. So there are certain factors that will make someone more likely to experience PTSD. And do, so, do, do the army sort of screen for that in, in before? You know, can you pick that up before going into a conflict zone? So one of the um, predisposing factors for PTSD is, is people coming from low-income backgrounds. It's, it's, it's one of the um, predisposing factors. Is, Why is would some, that be? Because, because of some of the challenges and the struggles that they, they have faced. It doesn't make them more resilient in some ways. It makes it, them but, less but it, able. This is the whole point. It, may, mm. it will make some people more resilient. It mm. will make be just just totally unique to that individual right. about how their brain has processed their whole upbringing. Yeah. Um, and what we also know is that the armed forces, you know, it's it's one of the assets. We have a, a lot of people that come from low income backgrounds. Yeah. So if we were to screen out all people that yeah, you couldn't exclude everybody. <laughs> no. And, and what we all, and what we also know is that the, the military contributes so positively mm. to so many. Mm. So for, for those who have struggled in their upbringing and perhaps have, haven't have experienced such a sense of belonging in places, um, you know, whether that's their family uh, background, whether that's their schooling or whatever, mm. you know, the military provides such an amazing sense of belonging. It can yeah. be the first time in life that people feel that like they belong somewhere. Yeah, and are supported. As, and are supported. Mm. It also provides quite strict boundaries mm-hmm. but again some people who have led a life where boundaries haven't kind of been taught or they haven't um, been exposed to them as much it, it can be a, a really a, a very growing experience so potentially yes we we could screen for the predisposing factors but you could potentially exclude people that that could benefit so much from yeah, the experience sure, sure. and that's the difference with our with our with the kind of with psychology and with our minds there is no there's no set given with anything mm. you know we we have if we apply the medical model to our to our brain to our minds you know we know that if i don't know we we tested we know that if you've got really brittle bones for example you 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 wouldn't put yourself in a situation where you're doing a load of high impact, mm-hmm. f- for example, yeah. um, exercise. But with our mind, just because we've got predisposing factors, it doesn't mean that absolutely you're going to respond badly to something. Mm. But being aware is presumably really helpful. Absolutely, and 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 what is great now within the the military setting is that we, ha- you know, there is so much more knowledge and understanding about being able to identify symptoms and signs if people mm. are struggling and and how and I guess giving that. people permission to say put their hand up and say I can't cope with this I, yeah. I, I need a bit of help guys yeah absolutely and it you know stigma has reduced there's a massive massive long way 
to go with all aspects of mental health i think still yeah it's absolutely isn't it that legacy of of shame almost that comes with it and and there's you know we've got so so much kind of research and insight now into things like help seeking barriers you know what it what is it that stops people from coming forward we know that we've got so many people that struggle but but yes and and we you know the amount of campaigning and everything that's being done to say mm. it's okay to talk it's fine yes. to share it's all right but still so many don't yeah. and you know the 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 help seeking barriers um you know part of that can be actually access to support people struggle to get the access because actually support within the NHS from a mental health perspective, as with the lots of things, there's a bit of a postcode lottery. Mm. There can be huge waiting lists in, in, in certain areas compared compared to others. So mm. access, accessibility, being able to actually express um, what it is that they're they're feeling or that or that they're experiencing. They feel that they can't they can't necessarily explain it mm. to themselves, let alone others. Um Stigma still rates yeah. as one of the highest barriers for people coming forward. Another one which I find really interesting, actually, is um, the preference still for self-reliance to be able to respond to it themselves. Right. And when I speak to people when to, about that, and I, and I really recognise that in people that I work with, is this sense of mental health can feel very disempowering. If we are experiencing anxiety, we're experiencing low moods, there's a real sense of feeling controlled by that because when Mm. you don't understand what's going on, you don't know how to respond to it. But what we know is that people want to be able to respond to it themselves but kind of don't know how to. Mm. So a help-seeking barrier being wanting to do it themselves means that they don't want to kind of hand over the power to somebody else to have to help them and I, re- I, I really recognize that especially within the within the military it's that it can be very disempowering to feel that you need somebody else to help sort out what's going on for you to help your mind especially absolutely because that's so, about how you think and, and who you are it's your, your very essence isn't it yeah what's going on yeah your real you, your real sense of self really yeah. so i think it's amazing to see princes william and harry really embrace mental health oh it's fantastic i mean that's such a massive change yeah. isn't it and hopefully in terms of stigma i mean they're so well placed aren't yeah. they to say come on guys you know if if we have experienced you know such difficulties and issues in our lives yeah, it gives you kind yeah. of permission for for everybody yeah. to say, yeah, actually, so yeah. I I've, I found this really tough. And and, and for people to recognise it, it's it's kind of one of those phrases. It doesn't mental health doesn't discriminate. You know, it kind yeah. of it affects everyone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I I sometimes it's hard when you and I sometimes say, well, well why why would they have an issue? Like, <laughs> yeah, what's yeah, wrong? they've got all the money, they can do what they want yeah. in the world, but yeah. it, it just it you know it again it comes back to that sense of self, who you are, what's mm. happened, how your experiences and and the beliefs that you hold about how things need to be or should be yeah. that then affect you know psychologically how yeah. how you respond to things on yeah. a day-to-day basis of course they lost their mother relatively young and i know that now we talk about things like is it post childhood traumatic stress syndrome is yeah. that is that something that is is a growing area of recognition that actually really tough things that can happen during our early years are quite likely in some cases to, to follow us through to adulthood yeah absolutely and it is one of the things which I again I, I'm, I'm really passionate about helping people understand how your mind develops that impacts the way that you see the world now 
so I think I kind of explained before when I saw you guys, when, whenever I, I say I'm a psychologist, everyone kind of, looks, first of all, says, usually says, can you read my mind? Um, <laughs> of course, they answer yes. <laughs> Only if I look in your eyes, though. Right. Um, but, uh, oh, you know, you look, so what do you do? It's, it's all, you blame the childhood. You know? I said, well, look, the reality is the way that we interpret the world is based on our blueprint that we have in in our mind the blueprint being you know the 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 kind of the strategies and the rules the way the way that the world should work the way that you should be all those things are created right from the word dot so literally from babyhood yeah absolutely and actually certain things especially with we you know when the brain is really developing, if somebody goes through real trauma as a child, you know, the structures of the brain will be affected in relation to how they grow as well. From what age? Uh, from from any age. So, really? it, it, so is that when they talk about plasticity of the brain? Well, the plasticity of the brain is a good thing in that uh, we now know that our brains aren't set in stone. So when everyone or anyone says, well, that's just the way I am, that's just the way I think, well, guess what? Oh, you can change it. You can change it. At any age. At any age. even old age. Even old age, (gasps) yeah. Interesting. Um, And actually, that's what's lovely. When I do therapy from teenagers right up until 75, 80-year-olds, so the neuroplasticity side of things is slightly different in that it's something that we know if you think of the brain a little bit like um, a bit of plasticine that you can kind of remould to a certain degree. That's what we can do. Um, but a lot of our rigidity, perhaps, in the way that we think about the world can be created from the experiences that we have right all the way back from, you know, from, from our childhood, mm. the experiences that we have, our interrelational experience with our caregivers is just so, so important. Um, the, the way that we learn about connection, that the hormones that are released, you know, when we have kind of positive interrelational connections versus negative, yeah. all this stuff kind of builds and builds and builds and and we create this kind of ball this hub of rules which are all the neuron neuron pathways in our brain that we're not necessarily aware of on a day-to-day basis that is filtering how we see the world and it's a massive responsibility for parents then isn't it because you are forming those opinions and those boundaries and those that will carry on for Literally decades and decades. I, I remember when I was in my training, um, there are a, cu- a couple of really amazing books, um, one by a woman called Sue Gerhard, and it's it's called um, Love Matters. So that's, again, it's the kind of the neurobiology around the importance of care and loving <laughs> towards your children. Um, so it's that book and another book, which has a very rude word in the title, which I won't say, but, um, I, I, think, I think if it's a textbook, you're allowed. Okay. <laughs> there's a, there's a, a book called They Fuck You Up and it's oh, all about okay. as a parent, how you influence your yeah. child. And I can remember, I read this when I was like 30, 30 odd and you know, I'm now 43. I've now only got very small children. I remember at the time literally thinking exactly what you've just said. Oh, that is mm. the most unbelievable responsibility because that's just what you do not want to do as a parent isn't yeah, it you know yes, you, you want yeah so should we be super huggy um affirming saying how brilliant our children are all the time or, or i mean what what's how, how do we strike the right balance well that's it i think it is uh the right balance and it's interesting because 
we've gone through an era which is recognised as potentially where we've overdone it mm-hmm. a bit. Right. That we reward any type of participation. Right. For turning up, you get a medal. Yeah, abs- absolutely. <laughs> Life is not like that. Yeah, no. <laughs> Sadly. And and actually, I keep quoting different books, but there's this wonderful woman called um, Angela Duckworth in America, and she is the, the professor of grit. Um, professor of grit. Well, she, she, that's, that's her, her, her. That's not actually her, her title, but her I'm giving name. her that title. She's mm. a, you know, she is the grit kind of expert. Um, and, and what she very much professes is, you know, when you reward everything, yeah. then it doesn't necessarily foster that kind of perseverance sure. that that we need children to yeah. recognise. And you go out into the, uh, into the adult world and you're working. Yeah. And I mean, seriously, you are not rewarded no, at every opportunity no, a- absolutely. for, for so just turning up. You've got no, to do a bit more than that. No. Equally, at the same time, as you say, it, it is so important for children to experience um, nurturing and caring and being rewarded for the things that they have they have done well. You know, again, going back to the kind of neurobiology, you know, we have a one of our three emotional systems. The one that in the Western world we, we neglect hugely is our is our soothing system, and our soothing system is the system that when we ignite it. When we bring it online, it makes us feel safe, calm, relaxed. It's the one that we need to turn on when we're feeling mm. anxious or worried or so threatened. How do we switch by things. on our, our soothing system? Well, <clears throat> and and this is um, where the notion of again another really important part that's evolved within psychology over the, over the last ten years or so is is the notion of compassion and how important compassion is. So compassion again is a word which a lot of people might twitch at to a certain degree. And, and and when I was working at Help for Heroes and I was really passionate about trying to foster that with, within the work that we did there, I thought that the word compassion would would sit very uneasily with, um, you know, the, the military folk yeah. that... Um, that perhaps feel that it might be weak. You know, what does compassion mean? Is it, is it does it mean that you're weak to be kind of yes. compassionate with does yourself? It show leniency. Or... Exactly, exactly. But actually, what compassion is about is recognizing that we are hardwired to receive compassion. We require compassion to be able to balance out those emotional systems. So we have three emotional systems. We have our threat system, which is our fight or flight system is usually the, the the phrase that most people know about. We talk about that in terms of stress and producing Absolute, cortisol yeah, and, and exactly. living on adrenaline. Exactly. And so that, used that, to that really that, that stress mode. Yeah, that stress mode, our threat mode, generally is the mode that in this day and age is is online a bit too much for some people, way way too much. Yeah. Because our and the reason why it's not it's not great is because that system was designed to respond to physical threat it was designed back in the day when we needed to fight or flee but now by the woolly mammoth exactly run exactly so it's kind of it's it's a it's a physical response because you need that physical response to run away from the woolly mammoth woolly mammoth um so what happens now is a non-physical threat will happen like we're sitting in a, a in a traffic jam late for a meeting and our threat system comes online. It says threat. It says I'm going to be judged as being unprofessional because I've turned up late for a meeting. That's a threat to my 
to who I am. It's a threat to, mm. to my job or, you know, all these different things. And the whole physical response kicks in, which is not useful when you're sitting in a car. No. Not useful when you're sitting at a desk and you've got a big presentation to write and you're sitting there going, I can't do this, I can't do this. Again, threat to self, you know, threat threat to how people view you if you don't get your presentation done. The photocopier mm. breaks down just for a meeting. I'm using work examples for for. for, for whatever reason but those things I wanted to yeah, almost being like, late for things or, or you know it's exactly the same system mm. that 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 kicks off and this is what I say it's you know whether you're being shot at by the Taliban or the photocopy is just broken just for a big meeting and your boss requires this they are the same systems they are totally different experiences wow but they are the same system that kicks off it's yeah. your threat system that kicks off so how do we quell that? Because presumably it's not helpful. I mean, you don't want to quell it if you're being shot at by no. a terrorist, <clears throat> but if you are standing by a broken piece yeah. of machinery, whatever it is, at yeah. home or at work, and you feel that heightened sense of, of panic or yeah. anxiety, how, how, can we switch it off? Can we make a We can help, and, and this is where the soothing system comes in. <laughs> so what we can do is calm that system down. Because what also happens when we go into fight or flight mode, not only do we switch on a lot of physical, a physical chain reaction where adrenaline pumps around our, um, our, our bodies, so that our heart beats faster. That's why we get that, um, the you know palpitating heart. Um, but it also switches certain things off. So when you're in fight or flight mode, your 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 brain decides that it doesn't need the higher level executive functioning. You know, if you're in fight or flight mode, you don't need to be making big strategic thought yeah, processes. You just need to get the heck out you of just, there. Yeah. yeah. So actually what ends up happening is that area of your brain goes slightly offline. And the more stressed you are, the more offline it will go. So, so that's in terms of clarity of thinking? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So wow, that's when you're... quite dangerous. Well, and, 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 it's, and again, it's not particularly useful. So let's go back to the analogy of you're sitting in front of your desk, you've got a massive presentation to write. You start, your brain starts to recognise threat. Mm. Oh my goodness, I can't do this. What's this going to mean to me? Not that you're consciously thinking this at mm -hmm. all. This is just what your right. brain is doing. It then, because you've gone into slight worry, anxiety, panic mode, what you actually need is your brain working well for you, for you to be able to sure, do the presentation. Do yeah. yeah. So what we need to do is we need to help to physically calm the system down. Because what you want is for that to be able to come back online so you can have rational thought. But you won't be able to do that when you're in fight or flight mode. So actually, the most important thing we can do first and foremost is try and respond in a way that brings the physical response back down. So the chemicals and the hormones that pump around our body when we go into fight or flight mode leave our body. They metabolise quicker when we're moving. So if you think about it, it's designed, they were designed to pump around your body when you are moving. Right. So for when you're running away. When you're running away. Mm. So again, when you're sat at your desk, you're feeling stressed and that panic isn't going, yeah. you're si you're generally sitting still. Do you so, need to get up and move? So you need to get up and move. You need to help those those chemicals and hormones actually kind of leave your body. Yeah. So really important for things like I was thinking my teens this this year, they were doing A levels and GCSEs. Yeah. 
And it was quite stressful. You know, they were doing a yeah. lot of revision and, and sitting still yeah. working. And I had no yeah. idea that they might be in yeah. kind of panic, flight or fight mode. And I should be saying, right, come on, let's get go up. Out and, and that's why and I say to people, if you're, if you're in walk, the office, let's... either go for a walk, just walk up and down the stairs a yeah. few times. Just Literally just, just get that heartbeat out. going mm-hmm. in, a, in a physical way. Mm. Um, and again, really interesting. And I know there's people, a lot of people recognise that breathing can really help calm ourselves down. But again, if you know how to actually use breathing properly so when we when we breathe in we stimulate the part of our nervous system that um speeds everything up it stimulates the 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 part of the system that is associated i suppose with that threat response and when we breathe out we stimulate the soothing part of our nervous system. So there's a very simple technique called the 7-11 breathing, which is you breathe in for seven and out for 11. The kind of the numbers doesn't really matter, but what I always say is what I need you to do is just to breathe out for longer than so you're why breathing is that? in. Why, why would that work? It's the, it's the diaphragm. When we, are breathing, when we breathe in, the diaphragm stimulates the sympathetic nervous system, the thing that speeds everything up. When we breathe out, our diaphragm stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system that calms everything down. Ooh, so you want more of the calming. So more, so you breathing out. the breathing out. Yeah, so you breathe out. And I have to say, I always say this to people in my... um, in my work that I do, especially in my one-to-one, I said it's pretty much the only guarantee that I will give in therapy is if you do that breathing for two minutes, that will physically start to calm you down. And Isn't once you absolutely physically, brilliant. I love it. I'm when so going to be doing And then that. when you physically calm yourself down, yeah. then you start to come out of flight or flight mode and then this rational part of your brain comes back more online. Right, so you can then think. And then you can think. And be rational. So, so when... So when someone is in in high anxiety mode or they're in panic mode, the first thing you shouldn't do is try and force yourself to think rationally because to a certain degree, you're not capable of it. So recognise that you need to do something physical. You need to do something physical first. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And... Don't get me wrong. There are things absolutely you can you can do to encourage yourself to remind yourself it's okay. I mean, that's a phrase I always get people saying. It's okay. It's okay. Mm. But what you shouldn't do is start doing some of the, you know, reframing, which is a, a thing that that I do a lot with. You know, especially trying to be more flexible in your thinking is you reframing the way that you're looking at something. You know, ha- asking yourself whether. The way that you are thinking about something is—is is that really helping you? Is that the truth? You're—you know—you've kind of created a truth in that moment, but it's very hard to do that level yes. of reframing when you're still in when you're highly stressed. when you're highly stressed. Yeah. Somebody once said to me that you should talk to yourself as if you were talking or having a friend talk to you. Yeah. Because we can be so hard on ourselves, Absolutely. can't we? You know, I might yeah. beat myself up the whole time, you know. I didn't write that as well as I could have done. Yeah. I could have done that faster. I could have been kinder to that person. You know, all these kind of negative things. Yeah. I don't look as nice as I perhaps wanted to, or that dress doesn't look as good as I thought it might on somebody else or whatever. And actually, if you think, what would my friend be saying to me right now? They'd yeah. be saying, hey, come on, yeah. you look great. Or actually, do you know, I thought that went really well. Yeah. Or come on, you've just been so overdoing it. You you know, give yourself a break. Yeah. Let's, you know, cheer up. You look great. You did a great job, whatever. And actually, it really helps. It seems a bit kind of, I don't know, psychobabble, really. But it's really not. Just to actually talk to yourself as you imagine your friend was standing in front of you 
And what would they say to you? They wouldn't be saying, no, actually, that was a bit rubbish, wasn't it? Oh, no, no, actually, you didn't look great in that. They'd be going, come on, you're doing a great job. You know, look at you with, you know, all your kids and your pressures and yeah. or whatever it is, you know, all the way you've cared for your parents or, you know, whatever, that anything that you might be beating yourself up about. It's, it, and it's not psychobabble. It's, and again, another this kind of wave of, of and focusing on compassion-focused therapy. It's a, it's a, 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 a kind of an approach and I'm, is I'm it a, part of that then being compassionate with yourself absolutely it's so it's so so important because it affects us so much <clears throat> the way that we respond to ourselves and it's it, it's so common that there is one rule for everyone else and yeah. one rule for ourselves why do we beat ourselves up so much because we we've kind of developed a culture it's a very western thing if you go east you're you know, if you think about it, that they have a much more kind of compassionate, kinder approach to themselves, to life, to others. And we are, we're generally, as I say, in the Western world, we, we, we are, I'm not saying that we're all bad at being compassionate to other people, but we, we have created this kind of myth that the harder we kick ourselves up the arse... Mm the better we will be or the the more that's successful we, we will be. We and that's what we need. You no, know, you know, buck up, you know, yes. sort, yourself, sort yourself out. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is all about balance, isn't it? Because it isn't necessarily always about letting ourselves get away with stuff if we're, you know, we generally, genuinely think that, you know, we, we could have done, we could have worked a lot harder at, yes. at something. Do you know what I mean? There is, yeah. there is yeah. still... Yeah, I think a, you know instinctively. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but we know that the levels of self-criticism contribute so hugely towards our mental health, mm. and which is why, and, and you, as I say, it's not psychobabble at all because I've, I've done training in, in, and I use compassion-focused therapy as in, in, in my practice. Um, and also I... I I suggest that it's a hugely important thing to practice to stay psychologically fit mm-hmm. um, because we need to be able to ignite that soothing system and self-compassion is one of those ways, one of the ways to ignite that soothing system, which again will contribute towards reducing our levels of anxiety, reducing our um, levels of panic and, and worry about things. Mm-hmm. You know, the... the the levels of self-criticism, and this is exactly right. I use that exact example, either friends or, or towards kids. Like, what, how would you be if one, you know, a, a child came up to you and, and they felt really upset about something? What would you do? Um, yeah, you're not going to say. No. Yeah, well, of course, you got that wrong. You messed up, didn't yeah. you? So yeah. get over it. You're rubbish. <laughs> you wouldn't say that, I mean, You hopefully. just would, Yeah, I mean... I, and, <laughs> you give them and, a big hug and, exactly. and say it's fine. Yeah, exactly. It'll be okay next time. So there needs to be a yeah. lot more self-hugging, which <laughs> that's, you know... But there are ways of... It's the metaphorical self-hug, but it's it, it's so, so important because there's the science behind it. Mm-hmm. There's the genuine science behind it. You know, we will... When we receive compassion either from ourselves or other people, we release serotonin endorphins so we can do that ourselves we don't have to have that endorsement from somebody else no and it's really important that we learn how to do that for ourselves how how can we do it so the the sorts of things they can be so simple so i always say to people you know think about what a compassionate behavior would look like to you so okay 
let's say we can't book a massage once a week, you know, that's not viable in our no, life. But d- no. doing that for yourself is something, you're, you're, it's a kind gesture towards yourself. Mm-hmm. But actually I find, for example, a warming tea is something mm. that's actually a really nice thing that I can do for myself. Instead of going automatically and saying, I'm just going to have a cup of tea, you actually sit with it and just feel the warmth of the tea and, and feel... and. And think of it in a way as a, 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 a nice kind of nurturing thing that you're doing for yourself. Mm. I know that if I'm feeling a bit twitchy about things, do you know what? A really lovely warm scarf, especially on a day like today, but, mm. you know, having something like a nice piece of clothing that feels really soft and lovely. Yeah. Basic things like, f- for me, I love scented candles, for example. When I light a scented candle, I almost feel like I'm doing something for myself so it's about understanding and it's completely unique to the individual I've just given you examples of things that I know Mm. help stimulate my soothing system how I soothe myself um it can also be you know just bundling on the floor with my children for example (laughs) you know there there are there are so many different things and actually it's really important that you kind of have a basket full of things that you can do that are easy to do wherever you yeah. are. It might be, you know, I'm a big fan of Headspace. For me, that is... Headspace a, being the, the app. The app, yeah. Mm, so how does that work then? Um, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a subscription-based app, but it, it's... Um, it's it, does it, it guide provides, you through it, it's meditation? A, yeah, or? meditation and mind, mindfulness. Mm. Um, so it's actually something you can you can download the app and um, there is a take 10, which is you can kind of do two, 10 10-minute 10 sessions for free. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
the guy who set it up um, used to be a monk. And he's, again, I always say to people, when anything guided that you download, you've, it, the voice has got to be right for you. Because yeah. the last thing you want is to be irritated by the voice that's guiding yes. you through something. And uh, this guy called Andy, who, who does, does all, all the, the, the guidance, has a wonderful voice. And there's something about him that is just hugely soothing as soon as you start listening to him. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, as most of us, we... we have crazy busy lives, 10 minutes, just having a bit of mindfulness, a bit of space where I'm being guided through how I focus on my breathing and I don't let my thoughts run away and come back to Mm -hmm. I'm kind of giving myself something. I always know I like it because towards the end, he always, with whichever session that you do, he always then says, okay, now just let your mind go wherever it wants to go. And I always, I really recognise every single time I go, oh no, 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 I just want to stay here. Really, in that, that <laughs> lovely, cosy space. I just want to stay in this little bit here. Just let me, just don't make my mind go back to all the things right. that I know I have to do. So it's, That's very it's so it's, so the, the compassion, the compassionate approach, and there's lots of different things, and especially the, the, the individuals I work with with trauma, it's a huge part of the work that I do for, with any kind of trauma client that I work with, because we have to help them soothe their soothing system. And actually some people, don't know how to do that and again if you've had an upbringing where your parents your primary caregivers perhaps were a bit absent in that sense and I don't necessarily mean physically absent I just mean emotionally absent or which was also a generational thing absolutely absolutely so so sometimes I can work with clients and they get frustrated that they they say well this is such a simple thing why why do I not know how to do it what what and I said, well, you kind of have to, you have to be taught it. You have to learn it. Mm. Um, and you can do that now. So, you know, we'll, we'll do that. Yeah. So we, you know, there are lots of different things. Like I do a, a compassionate image exercise with someone who can't get to grips with what it, what it means and what it looks like to be kind and compassionate. Because generally someone will be able to, either they've had someone in their life somewhere that gave them, that sense of security and were and was kind to them, or um, or they recognise it from you know other individuals, what it would mean, what it looks like, and so you, you have to almost get someone to be able to have their own compassionate image that when they know that they need a bit of compassion in their life, they can almost visualise how that person would respond to them, so that they're um, you know it's trying to bring that person or that individual to life? Like, how would they talk to you? Mm. What tone of voice would they use with you? What sort of language would they use so that you can teach someone what that looks like? Even if they haven't had it. Even if they haven't had it. Mm. Yeah. That's really fascinating. So I love the idea of of switching on compassion. Does psychological fitness, which is really kind of what you're talking about, how does that play into things like mental illness? Mm. So I'm I'm on a bit of a crusade at the moment about this, just because I feel really passionate about it. You know, mental health has, has taken a huge uh, focus over the last 10 years, uh, which has been fantastic to raise awareness of, you know, the about support that's out there, that it's okay to talk. But what has ended up happening is that when you say mental health to someone... And this is what I tend to do in my workshops. I always start by saying, well, I want you to write down, which I got you guys to do. Yes, what, what's the, you know, when I say mental health, what are the first things that come up to you? And, and I would say 95% mm. of people will say depression, yes. anxiety, mm. panic, worry, sadness. 
all the aspects associated with um, mental ill health. It's a very negative, it, it's all about the negative. It, mental health is about when things go wrong or when you need help. When actually our psychological health sits on a continuum with psychological fitness at one end and psychological ill health or mental ill health at the other. So what's really important now with within the psychological health world is to try and pe help people understand that your psychological health is not something that you just pay attention to when you potentially have a, a, a mental illness. Right. We have got to, just as we now very proactively pay attention to our physical health, yeah. we have to take the same approach with our psychological health. That's so fascinating because you're absolutely right there. So when we talk about mental health, we're automatically thinking bad, yeah. ill health, depression, anxiety, yeah. worry, whatever. But when you say to somebody physical health, you might be going, yeah, great, physical mm. health. I'm, I'm really, you know, I've got good physical health and I'm, you know, positively perhaps, you know, doing a bit more fitness or I'm feeling really well. So you're absolutely spot on. We should be applying that. The mental health yeah. is this broad term and you can have low mental health or ill health mm -hmm. and conversely have great mental health. Yeah. You know, what are we doing to promote good mental health? And I guess that's what you're doing now with your work, is it? Yeah, it's a, it's a big it's a big focus because I I truly believe it. it it's the it's the kind of the direction that we have to it's not about not paying attention to the support that is required for those who who need it, who mm. are struggling with um mental ill health, but to kind of help prevent these someone moving yeah. towards being yeah. mentally un unwell how much better can we be yeah I mean, but it's like fitness you know I started running and my fitness levels have gone up and up and I'm now much fitter than I was you know could you apply that to mental health start doing these training exercises for psychological fitness yeah and then become so much more resilient because, you know, bad stuff happens. Yeah. And we're all going to be affected one way or another, yeah. like it or not, by something yeah. in our lives that's Absolutely. going to affect our mental yeah. ill health. And presumably by being better equipped to deal with it, we can if not sail through it, at least get through it better. Yeah, absolutely. But the only thing I would challenge to a certain degree of that, and that's where so resilience is, I would say, like an element of the of psychological fitness because resilience by the nature of what resilience means which is bouncing back when mm. when tough things or challenging things happen again what we're kind of saying with that with resilience is you know you've got to you've got to get your mind ready for when things are tough yeah. and what i'm saying is no 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 <laughs> every every day yeah. just like we're now counting our steps and yeah. we you know we we you know, make sure that hopefully most of us we're eating the right things that keeps us and and all, and, and all yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not we're not doing that for just for if an illness occurs or no. if it, it's it's no, to build point. and maintain our physical fitness. Um and exactly the same as I say with the psychological fitness is is to try and reframe people's perception about what psychological health is about. It's something that's brilliant it's something that's really empowering it's something that you can own you don't have to feel completely disempowered by your psychological health it's not something that you know takes over and that's one of the things which I really really experience when I'm working with someone with mental health they can feel very disempowered mm. they can feel out of control 
Um, but if we can help people to recognise by understanding how their mind works, that for me, that's the first bit. Sure. Um, because when people understand how your mind, your behaviours, your thinking, your emotions, how they all influence each other, then you're in a much better position to intercept and to behave the way right. that things will help you to cut stuff off, off if you feel it's going oh no, yeah. no we're not going to go there I'm, I'm not going to think that way yeah you know work with the, your thoughts being aware you know an awareness is the is the first stage we're mm-hmm. in autopilot so much of our yeah. time yeah. and we have to be because there is so much stuff our, our our brain is processing on a day-to-day basis but it requires us it requires us to go into autopilot but equally what that means is we're not really aware of how we interpret situations. We're not really aware of how we're responding to things because they become so automatic because mm-hmm. we've been responding that way for so long. You know, since we were seven years old and we made that rule up about how good we were at netball. Yeah, you know. and that's, that's our response. So how do you now say to people they can encourage better psychological fitness? What are the kind of rules of the day that we should be following? Well, I, 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 I work from a, from, a, from a model that I've kind of created, which is there's, there's a number of factors that you can do depending upon, you know, where you are in the world right now. So for me, there are a number of factors like to be psychologically fit, you, you need to be able to work on having a nice, flexible mind, you know, being flexible. Because you called and, your business Mind Flex. Yes, because for me, that's the real cornerstone. If, if you've got a flexible mind, that means you're open to thinking about doing things differently. So you're open to change? You're open to change. And we, we have to be open to change. But to many of us have got very set views about things. Are you saying that we need to consider those? Absolutely. If that, well, Not if they're working for you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so again, again, a very common response. If ever any of my clients were, um, were to hear me, they will know. I'll go, well, is that working for you right now? Right. Especially when, oh, no, well, this is the way that, yeah. this is so where I've I think. I've always done it this yeah, way. but this is the way it is. Okay, great. Is that working is for you? working for you? Is yeah. it working for you? And that <laughs> usually not. comes with a, with a laugh <laughs> and goes, well, clearly not, because I'm sitting here talking to you. Um, but, <sighs> you know, certain, of course, some of our strategies and rules are, are healthy mm. and, and they work for us. Mm. But if some of our rules end up limiting us and limiting mm. where we are in the world or how we think about things or, you know, ha- limit what we do yeah. in the world, yeah. then, yeah, mm. be open I mean, to change. Women are very used to, I think, talking to each yes. other. I remember talking yeah. to one psychiatrist who was saying that, you know, women have this amazing superpower mm-hmm. of being able to open and share. Yeah. Is that a, an important thing when it comes to psychological well-being? absolutely in and especially in terms of kind of processing because that's what happens when we talk you're working it through aren't you as, you're working you it through it. but what you're mm-hmm. doing is you're not working it through in your own head with yourself right <laughs> and yeah. what tends to happen when we're just left with our own thoughts is we go round and round in circles yeah you know yes of course um we are capable of working through things by ourselves i'm not saying that we're not capable of doing that but if we are ruminating, ruminating meaning we're going over and over and over something and we're not coming to any different conclusions, you know, it, it, it's not helpful for us mm. to just stay in our own head thinking about that. We, we're not providing ourselves the opportunity to have a different perspective, a different yeah. opinion. So and that, speak it out to somebody. Speak it out to someone. Again, mm. 
go back to um, military um, books, and I can't remember which war it was. Terrible, either the first or the second. Maybe the second. I can't remember. Anyway, they suggest that the guys who came back on the boats struggled less than the guys that came back by air, because boat took a lot much longer. And therefore, they had more opportunity to sit and talk. They talked it through. Isn't mm. that fascinating? So it, it, it is the very basics of processing. Our yeah. brain... And, and again, you see, people people with who have struggled with PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, as we've talked about earlier, the, the, the starting point, really, of, of what... I'm doing in therapy with someone who's who's having trauma treatment is I'm 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 helping them reprocess what has happened so it doesn't mm. keep revisiting them at times. So do you have places. to draw it out and confront it so that you can let it go or well, or can we just bury stuff? You can't bury stuff that still needs to be processed. Right. So it it's not it's not complicated. I'll try and say it in a very non-complicated way. But as I said earlier, when when we when we process something that's happening, all the information that our brain pulls in is stuck through an information processing system. We stick it in a file, we stick it in a filing cabinet, and, and there's that memory for you to go back and retrieve it when you fancy. When we are in fight or flight mode, when we're in a you know a, a traumatic situation. We're in a highly stressful situation. Remember I talked about earlier when we're in fight or flight mode, that high level executive functioning part of our brain goes slightly offline. When we go through something traumatic, it can go quite quite offline, which means that information processing system doesn't happen as well as it normally would do. Therefore, all that information about that event doesn't necessarily get put in the file and doesn't necessarily get put get put in the filing cabinet is left slightly as kind of fragmented memories mm. so what we try and do with someone who has ptsd is we need to knit that we need to go back to that memory and knit it together so that we can stick it through that processing system so that yeah. we can stick it back in the file so it can safely be and it can away. be safely stored away you know you don't you don't make that memory um you don't eradicate that memory but what yeah. you're doing is helping someone process it file it and potentially give them the opportunity to view it in a slightly different way that isn't going to be as mm. limiting for that's them that's really fascinating what about things like journaling people are now much more into writing things down yeah. and keeping a journal beside the bed yeah. I mean, i've heard of people writing three things they're grateful for yeah. that have happened that day yeah. and I, I now do that i don't actually write it down but i do try that the last thing i do before i go to sleep mm. is i think of three things to yeah. say thank you for and it can be something really simple, like, you know, I don't but it know, needs to that, be. That, you know, delicious cup of tea yes, or the fact that absolutely. the fire was really yeah. warm and raging tonight yeah. or the fact that I, you know, I bumped into an old friend I hadn't seen for ages and had a big hug. You know, it, it doesn't need to be massive things or the fact the sky was blue or yeah. that no, I was going to bed with a full tummy or something, just something that I'm thankful for. And it, 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 it's important that, I mean, I'm, I do exactly the same and it's, and it, it is really important because because we're on an autopilot a lot of the de a lot of the time we don't necessarily pay attention to to the good things that are happening and our our brain we are hardwired we have a negative bias we really? our, our brain is hardwired to focus more on the negatives than the positives so it's because they're more important potentially it's, it's all to do with survival yeah. exactly it's part of our survival system so 
to a certain degree, we have to kind of override it. Bring we, out those good things. Yeah. Because, and, and, and again, you know, people might go, oh, it's a bit fluffy, whatever. Well, the science behind it is yeah. your brain is wired to shout about the things, the negative things, because as a survival strategy. Yeah. So, you know, we, we have to override that sometimes. Yeah. Which is why if you get, you know, 100 lovely comments on Instagram and one really horrid one. Absolutely. That's the one yeah, that you that's remember. That's the one that folks on. And that's it. That's your negative bias kicking okay. in. And so you so have it's good to, to recognise that. Recognise it, you know, know it. I really yeah. don't care about that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but going back to kind of journaling and doodling and all things like this. Absolutely. It's, again just by writing things down gives ourselves a different perspective of mm. looking at our thoughts. So one of my very basic techniques, for example, when I'm um, when I'm working with someone is just giving them back what they've just said to me, paraphrasing. So hold on, you, you've just said that you think you're really rubbish at that. And then someone will go, that sounds really harsh, doesn't it? Mm. And it's amazing. Mm. Taking someone's thoughts out and putting it in a different medium, whether that's I'm giving it back to them yes. or you're seeing it written down. So you write down, I am really rubbish yeah. at, you know, yeah. baking and, and, and it sponge just, or whatever it is. Yeah, that's a bit harsh. I can't actually, believe that. I reckon you're amazing. <laughs> Don't often make but one, so I probably am a bit rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's just, it's a, it's a way of kind of taking what's in your mind and, and, and putting it somewhere else. Mm. It, it just provides an opportunity to kind of dump that. Yeah. And also then then it's amazing just the different platform, a different context enables you to engage with it in a slightly different way. Mm. Is time alone important? As I mean, we've talked about being with others. Is it's, it important for us to be happier on, on our own? Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I... I I'm a big advocate of, and it's again, one of my kind of psychological fitness factors to keep psychologically fit. We need to be able to have downtime yeah. and alone time comes into obviously that kind of downtime because it just gives us an opportunity to connect with just being with what's happening in that moment mm. because we have so much stimulus yeah. constantly you know, be that from everyone around us. You know, you think about it. Whenever you're having a conversation with someone, listen to someone on your radio, your brain is having to process that. It's it's doing so much that you don't you don't even know it's doing. So all this stimulus that you're constantly your brain, you're throwing at your brain always, it needs to have a rest. Again, it's like it's like your physical self. You can't go right. to the gym four times a day, no, seven days a week. You have to yeah. rest. And, you know, downtime, of course, can involve other people, but equally that alone time, and I mean, alone time in nature is obviously the best thing you can do. Right, yeah. <laughs> to, to really kind of, to really connect with actually things that are important, you know, connect with your values, connect with just what's going on for you. Is there an optimal amount of time? Do you say, you know, try and spend 12 minutes a day on your own, preferably outside? I think it's sometimes a bit negative to do that with people, to right. say this is your optimum amount of time, because then what happens is then it becomes... You don't achieve an, it. You <laughs> and don't you achieve, fail. Yeah. And feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay. it, it becomes another to-do list, right. thing on your to-do list. Fair enough. And it, and it, yeah, so I always say whatever is is doable for you, mm -hmm. you know? But even if that means 
going off and you know washing your face <laughs> yeah for for five for five minutes five yeah, extended minutes just cleaning up it's just, just- you know, great if therapy. Actually. Yeah, a, 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 yeah, a frantic house at home. So you've been working, or you've got kids, or whatever. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Even if it's sometimes just, just finding five minutes, just finding yeah. two minutes. Sure. But that's where something like you know, and again, you know, coming, tra- I don't know, traveling back from work, you know, listening to even just listening to cl- there's loads of research around classical music has a really soothing, stim- really? Uh, soothing impact on us. So just finding those things that. Mm. Gives you an opportunity to just calm the mind, just give it a yeah. rest, yeah. you know. And that's what I think when I get to the end of every kind of headspace that I do, and it goes, no, just let your mind go. I'm like, no, 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 no. Just no let's just rest. stay here. I love that idea. You've you've given us such such great information. I'm so thankful. And you know, the things that I'm going to take away are the bits of self hugging. Yeah. And I've done it, I've done it probably unconsciously. You know, I've, I've been at home on the farm and I've gone and found my favourite, cosiest, you know, yep. scruffiest old sweater that I just love and makes me feel good. And then I go and stand in a nice warm kitchen and make a cup of tea. So now I'm going to do that still, but rather than just do it mindlessly, I will think, do you know what? I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to go and put on that jumper that I love. Exactly. That everybody else teases me about because it's got so many holes in. <laughs> and I'm going to make myself a delicious cup of tea and I'm just going to stand for five minutes and not think about anything or talk to anybody, put my phone down and I'm just going to have that space. And what an amazing bit of compassionate soothing to and, use your and, and word. And how simple. And how simple. That, that's the thing. It doesn't have to be yeah. complicated. Yeah. It really just, just the simplicity of stuff like that can just add so much. Mm. And uh, just that time out as well. Yeah. The fact that I understand I need to rest my body from physical activity, but I also need to rest my brain from thinking you do it does a lot <laughs> thank you so much oh, really really fascinating and that sadly is all we have time for today but as always you will find the details of the resources the links the books also that vanessa mentioned in today's show over on lizardwellbeing.com and you can sign up there for our freeze newsletter as well you get lots of recipes there maybe not for my victoria sponge but for other things definitely some well-being wisdom and behind the scenes treat now don't forget before you click off this episode to hit the subscribe button if you haven't done it already on your podcast app that makes the next episode downloaded safely automatically without you having to remember if you would like to i'd love it if you could find a moment to leave a review we're on spotify and on itunes now it really does help other potential listeners to find the show and also perhaps find the help that they may well need lots of that in today's episode thank you very much vanessa thank you for listening and until the next time we chat go well bye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with quince go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365 day returns
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 